Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on people who question your choice to retire early, talking to a roommate about their pet's diet, letting dates down easy, and an offer of kitchen use that turned into a disaster. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about talking to business clients about their personal lives. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on being a good guest while dining out. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And I got some complaining to do. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm here for it, Lizzie Post. I appreciate it. I actually really do appreciate that support because my ego is taking a hit right now. And I bet our listeners are really going to feel feel the commiseration here because I think we've all been in this position at some point. But what I hadn't realized is that this position is actually something my cousin Daniel Post setting has recognized in my life for long enough that he now talks about it in his seminars. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? Because this won't be a shocker to you once I say it, but it, it will be to our audience. I send out invitations every now and again for my friends to come over to my house for dinner. And oftentimes, this is after the friend, said friends and I have actually communicated that we would like to all get together. And so I'm like, I would love to host. I'd be happy to host. And there is this really, this is like shout out to an app that is not sponsoring us. This really, really cute app called High Note. It lets you turn your text messages into like a little designed piece of artwork, like a it's like pre-set up as a note or a, a piece of stationery or just some a cute card or something like that. But it's all digital. You can fill in any information you want to on it. You can change colors, all that kind of stuff. So one of my friends had let me know that she and our other friend were talking about how the three of us should get together. And I was like, oh, let's do that. And I asked her, like, what day would be good for you? And I'll send out an invitation. Crickets. All right. A little annoyed at that. A week later, said friend texts both of us so my myself and the the friend that she had been talking to saying we should all get together and says hey we should all get together <laughs> i'm a little like yeah like i tried instigating this last week and nothing happened and so i'm like oh my gosh i've been just thinking about how i was going to send you guys the invite and i sent an invite that had the date as tbd because one is a single mom one is a stepmom of two and so i just know that it's easier if we figure out a date but i wanted to get the invite out there and say, I want to host you guys at my house. Dinner all fresco. It was so cute. Had like flowers around the edging. It was a pretty pink color. I mean, it was a really lovely invitation. And 
my one friend wrote back immediately and was like, oh my gosh, that's so cute. And I was like, yeah, well, let me know what day works for you. Crickets. And I still haven't heard from the third friend on this. So it's like, I, I don't know what to do, Dan. I am an etiquette author who cannot host a dinner party to save her life. I feel like a fraud. I feel like I can't gather with my friends. I'm stressing out. Is this what you all feel like when this happens to you? Do you get like this or am I just like way out of the norm? I want to hear from our audience. What does it feel like when people don't respond to your invitations? Because I'm going nuts over here and it's not the first time it's happened, which is why I had very much so given up on inviting people over to my house. And that is what Dan tells people in his seminars. Okay, sometimes. okay. You are so right in that I do tell a version of this story when I'm doing seminars sometimes. It's not one of my standard go-to pieces of material, but it does come up and not infrequently – but can I share the spirit with which I sh tell this story or oh, different of, versions of this story? Of course. But first, just validate. Am I am I like being way too persnickety about this or is this frustrating and a little odd? No, like this is frustrating <laughs> and it's so frustrating. And I tell the story because I want people to feel like they're not alone in it. And totally. I want people to feel like they haven't done anything wrong or that um that, that they shouldn't necessarily take it personally. Oftentimes, <laughs> I, good things to tell me right now. Good I, I share yes, yes. the story of you having difficulty getting people to reply to invitations in response to people asking questions or talking about how difficult it is to get people to reply to invitations. Totally. So I'm able to say, I so sympathize. My cousin, co-president, co-author, Lizzie Post, <laughs> and and I think of it as something that I first became aware of when you were. In your 20s, sort of a young adult, new in the world, and and part of a social scene that maybe didn't have as much experience with this sort of thing. And that yeah. for a while, that was kind of the allowance that I made in my mind for it not working, <laughs> but that it's, totally. it's persisted over time. And yeah. I think that it <laughs> speaks more to people not really understanding their roles and their – I don't want to say responsibilities, but their – Etiquettes. Their etiquettes. <laughs> Manners. Their <laughs> when politenesses. When they're invited to something, that acknowledging the invitation and getting an answer is the courteous thing to do. It's thoughtful. It's considerate. And it keeps the wheel turning. It, it makes it possible for someone to, to try again if it's not going to work this time or to – or, or to up. host it, to have the party. And <laughs> you notice my negative mind goes straight to the, or to give up, or to just give up. <laughs> no, you're right. Or to host the party. <laughs> but if you're so scared to say no, you don't say anything, or you're so indecisive and you don't want to commit to anything that you never say yes or no, it's, it's really difficult. And we end up with etiquette experts on their podcast saying, I am so frustrated. Does anybody else feel like this? And I think a lot of people do. Well, thank you for the validation. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being my validator. Out and <laughs> well, about. and just so all you audience members know, I have pre-typed like about 10 different messages to, to these two friends about whether or not I'm going to tease them about this. Just straight up ask for the dates. Be like, what? Not even a pretty invitation gets you guys? Like, you know, I I don't know what direction my sample script will end up going in the end. Right now, I'm in a state where I want to give them a little bit more time to respond just because I do know they are both busy women with families. So yeah. I try to respect that. But I will say 
say in my own world, I am like hurt that literally I have now offered, especially to the one friend twice, like twice requested a date and not gotten anything. And she often responds back with, I'm so terrible. I didn't get it to you. And I've started just saying, yes, you are. And it was frustrating. <laughs> like, And that's just a dynamic we have now. It'll be interesting to see what sample script I end up landing on for my own frustrating <laughs> question. The whole situation is compounded with the fact that the receiving of the invitation has been acknowledged. Oh, yes, that's so exactly. cute. That- one of them has acknowledged. The other one has not. <laughs> oh, Dan, thank you for giving me a moment to just um, state my own etiquette woes on a show where often people are writing into us with theirs. I appreciate the the airing of, of it. <laughs> Well, I'm happy to do so. And one of the things that I want to give you a big compliment on is that you keep trying. I think you are the kind of social actor that we need in our lives and in our communities. Someone who's willing to host and wants to do it and takes pleasure in it. And I just wish that we had a community that knows how to guest as well as you know how to host. Well, thanks, cuz. I appreciate it. All right, enough about me. Do you think we should get to some listener questions? Because that's what this show is really about. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with a social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y, W-O-R-T-H 
com slash manners, it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about a retirement response. Dear Dan and Lizzie, longtime listener of the podcast, I was hoping you could all advise me on a social etiquette situation. Recently, I have retired from a career and business that I worked very hard on for over 20 years. I'm in my late 40s, and when people ask me what I do or how business is going, I say that I am retired. Often, people have an extremely negative reaction to this. You are too young to retire. What do you mean you are retired? What are you going to do? They then go into detail, telling me how old they were when they retired, <laughs> which is the more typical 65-plus age range. I don't feel the need to explain the details of my career or defend my decisions to them. Frankly, I find their reaction off-putting. What is the best way to handle this awkward social encounter? Thank you in advance for your help. Sincerely, really retired of this. <laughs> that is such a good sign-off. Really retired of this. That's awesome. Very, very well chosen. Dan, I feel like this one falls under that category for me of seemingly innocent things people say all the time that when we don't fall into the category that appreciates those things or for whom they work for or make sense for, mm -hmm. it does create an awkward moment. And it is off-putting. I agree. It would be off-putting every time. And I think to retire in your 40s is usually seen as a pretty big achievement. At least I've always thought of it that way. Maybe maybe if I was 65 or older at this point, I would have a different perspective. Um on, you know, how long a life is and all the things you're capable of doing for so many years throughout it. But work doesn't have to be the thing if it doesn't need to be the thing for you. And so I'm appreciating how really retired of this is put off by what they hear. Like I can sympathize with that. And I think that with a lot of these types of reactions, sometimes the best thing to say is that's what worked for me or how lucky am I or boy, I was I was really happy to do it. I'm really enjoying life. <laughs> like, you know, where you just simply state your confident, positive perspective on it and leave it at that. So you're not telling them when you actually retired. You're not telling them why you were able to retire. You're not telling them even what business you did, but you're just letting them know, hey, it worked for me. And then I would try to change the subject to just move it along to something else since this doesn't seem to be a like comfortable area of conversation or one where p other people seem to do their best. For me, this happens around being single and without kids. Uh, oh my gosh, but you're so great. How could you not be married? Well, you know, I'm just not. But tell me, how is your golf game going this summer? You know, that's how it, it resolves in my life. But I think kind of being positive, being confident, keeping it short, not giving away the info you don't want to give away, and redirecting the conversation could be a strategy here. I like everything on that bullet list. I like <laughs> oh, good, good. confidence. I like brevity. I like not responding with something snarky or sarcastic. I like being clear and honest. And I also really appreciate the way that you're not indulging the sentiment that the question is asked with, that you're staying true to yourself in terms of mm -hmm. how you're responding. Mm -hmm. I also want to just take a great big step back and acknowledge that I think this is a, maybe a little bit of a generational question here. In the, Quite possibly, yeah. 
really retired is closer to that late 40s and is experiencing this sort of response from people that are more often retired at the more typical retirement age around 65 or maybe 65 plus. And instantly, as I was reading this question, I started to think about the FIRE movement, F-I-R-E, Financially Independent Retire Early movement. Ah, And there is a whole generation of people right now for whom this is the goal. This is the thing that they are organizing their early professional careers around. The idea is to save more than was the usual traditional saving amount with the goal of not being tied to a particular occupation for your entire life. And there is a changing perspective on how people connect their vocation and their identity. And we've talked on this show a lot about the question of, well, what do you do? (laughs) Or often being a question (laughs) that's meant to ask someone what they do for work. And those two aren't always necessarily the same thing, although in many people's minds, they are linked. Well, if you're not working, then you're shiftless or you're not doing anything or my favorite is when the follow up is no, no. But what do you do? (laughs) It's like, well, I garden and I play golf and I go on dates and I, you know, like, no, no, no. What do you do? Those are the things I do. And I appreciate your sort of very direct approach that moves on from the conversation i also wanted to offer up the option of if possible there might be a sample script or a way to respond to that question that shares some of your enthusiasm for being retired at age 45 yes what what, what do you so you know what are you gonna do that could be a good way to go yeah everything i always wanted to do all day when i was working so hard to be in this position might might be an answer and obviously without the attitude i just delivered that right, with right but with a spirit of general um, enthusiasm and genuine excitement about those opportunities and how they are presenting in your life now absolutely absolutely so i'm not sure maybe there's a, a better way to describe it or not it may be better maybe there's a different way to describe it than using the word retired retired well i'm i'm often thinking that this comes after the question of what what do you do right or or what do you do for work and the natural reaction would be to say you know i'm retired and i'm wondering if instead of especially if you get the what what do you do that always gives you the opportunity to talk about anything you do in life i volunteer i you know uh, really hone the skill. I do this. I do that. Working on Um, my pilot's license. Yeah, exactly. Cousin Pete. Um, I feel like those are ways that you could do that. If they say, what do you do for work? That's one where I might have a harder time not saying, oh, I'm retired. But I think you could also just say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not working or work is in my past might be a different way to say retired. (laughs) But I'm trying to think because there are a couple of gentlemen that I know who are in a position of not having to work and they do get that question a lot. What do you do for work? And they very quickly say, oh, I'm not employed or, oh, I don't work. I, I am the, you know, stay at home parent or, you know, I'm, I'm able to do things on my own at this point in my life. And, and so I'm not working or no longer employed might not also be a way, but people then read into that as like, oh, you lost your job or, oh, cause you're, you know, you look young enough that you should be employed, you know, and it's when we start putting those shoulds in place, we get in trouble. <laughs> so I'm not sure I have a perfect solution for what do you do for work 
but other than the part where you're retired. But for what do you do? You could just talk about what it is that you do, how you spend your time. And there is a lot of judgment that can come back at you in those moments. And I really appreciate really retired's desire to not get into defending decisions that they've made or justifying the opportunity to to be retired at 50 by saying, well, I worked so hard, I had to earn this and did it because that's really not necessarily the the responsibility that you have in that situation. Those are all really personal decisions. And this yeah. is very traditional etiquette when you're talking about your finances, decisions that you make about your profession and your identity. Those are things that you get to decide how you share. And in some ways, it's the the, the probing questions about them that are rude. You don't owe people answers or explanations. And if you don't want to get into that, it really is okay to deflect. Lizzie, can I give you one other sample script that I was yeah, playing with it. a little bit? Of course. Actually, I've been working as a secret agent for several years now. <laughs> it throws and, our and have a little fun component out the window, guys. But this is great. I love hearing this side of Dan come out for you all to hear. He's like this when we're on the phone all the time. <laughs> I like it. Really retired of this. You have our permission to make up some fantastical version of what you do that you can't tell people about rather than saying you're retired if that's helpful. (laughs) Thank you so much for the question. We really appreciate it. And Nick wants a rich social life in the future. So he is learning how to get along with people better. Because now is the time to start working on the plans you have made to achieve happiness. Having a purpose or goal to plan for has given new meaning to everything that Nick does. Our next question is titled, Crazed Cats. Dear Lizzie and Dan, my roommates and I both have cats. We keep them separated for the most part because mine like to free feed and theirs are only fed once a day and are on a special diet. I have to be very careful about opening and closing my door because their cats are always sitting right outside waiting to run in and eat out of my cat's food bowls. They always seem really crazed anytime food comes out and run into my room to feast anytime they can. I feel like they act like that because they need to be fed more than once a day or are not getting enough food. Is there a sample script I can use for bringing this up with my roommate? I don't want them to be offended or think I don't think they take care of their animals. Thanks, Xavier. Xavier, thank you so much for the question. I can't hear an etiquette question about cats and not think about my little three-year-old patting Lizzie's cat as (laughs) he lay sunning himself in the flower garden just a couple days ago because we don't have cats and your girls were really excited (laughs) Pooja is allergic and they were they just think cats are the coolest things and Lizzie Post is a cat lover and just has a beautiful cat Lizzie Bose may be done with cats after this particular cat. No, I love I love my cat Taco very, very much. She is wonderful. She is very eager to be pet and it makes her a great cat to be around kids because as long as they're not like rushing her and your daughters were very good about figuring out that the slower they were, the more they could spend time with Taco that she really will. I mean, she'll roll over for belly rubs. She loves being like scratched really hard. So she actually can really handle kids well. But my cat 
actually used to have the type of uh, food drive that Xavier is talking about their roommates' cats having. And it's that, like, people would joke when they'd come to take care of my cats when I was away. Um, That's when Denim was there, too, but Taco still does this. That the cats act like they've never been fed in their lives when you show up to feed them, even if you feed them fairly close together. Like, it's it's a little ridiculous. So some cats do just kind of always pull out the, woe is me, I never get fed, feed me as much as you can card, because I think there's just, there's an animal instinct to to go for it. And, and that's part of their Pavlovian learning, I would assume. But I did learn when I took my, my cat had started to look really skinny on top of all of this caterwauling for food and things like that. And when I took her to the vet, it turned out that she had hyperthyroidism and she needed a treatment. And since she's gotten that treatment, she's both put on weight and she's not as vocal about food. She is still begging for food at times. She still will sometimes pretend as if I haven't fed her at all. And um, if I make like the sounds of dinner, even if it isn't dinner time for her, she is right there, like ready to eat. So I think a little a little bit of it is just normal, but the cats are getting fed. It sounds like they're getting fed a specialized diet that's been discussed with a vet, I would assume, by the way that it's been presented to us. And so that means that your roommate probably has a pretty good handle on this situation. And it's what would lead me to not want to address this too directly or too quickly directly. I might make a few comments about how ravenous the cats are and just see if they say anything about it. Like, oh my gosh, I know, but this feeding program that the vets got me on is what they're really supposed to do. You know, so I'm, I'm sticking with it. You might get an answer like that, or you might get the, I don't know. I never noticed. Aren't all cats like this? That kind of a thing. But if I was going to broach the subject of maybe you need to get it checked out, I might say something like, you know, I've noticed the cats are always ravenous. I know sometimes that's just how they are, but have you ever brought it up with your vet? And that might get a little bit of a conversation going, a little bit more knowledge into whether or not this is something the owner has noticed and is addressing or not. But I would leave it alone kind of outside of that because these cats do get fed regularly and it it does sound like they're on some kind of a, a specific uh, prescription diet. I know my sister's cat eats totally differently from my cat. You know what I mean? Like they just, they have completely different feeding schedules, amounts that they can eat. She eats a very small amount of food compared to my cat who like does need more food than the average kitty because she just burns it off really quickly. Dan, that's my half vet, half um, etiquette author answer. <laughs> Lizzie, I appreciate you're sharing your personal experience managing the diet for your cats because it is something <laughs> that unless you're doing it yourself, there are so many possibilities that it's hard to it's hard to be able to imagine them without having some experience or thinking about it. And as I was listening to you talk, I was thinking about how treat motivated my kindergartner is. And I know I'm about to <laughs> compare kids and cats, but bear with me. If <laughs> Another parent approached me and had concerns that I wasn't feeding Anisha enough because Anisha appeared hungry all the time or would ask, you know, to borrow their kid's lunch or something. Always ready for a treat. <laughs> that would be very dicey territory yes, with me. Yes, it would be. <laughs> and I I am sure that Xavier would approach this situation with more care than the sort of 
crude parallel example that I'm putting together, but <laughs> it is it is definitely something where I think you want to take great care when you start talking to somebody about how they're feeding a living creature that they're responsible for. Because yeah. it's you're 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 getting into some very personal territory very quickly and people's relationship to food and animals' relationships with food are complex. There can be a lot yeah. of different things going on. And somebody that is or an animal that is perfectly healthy and perfectly well taken care of might also display a real enthusiasm for food and a real <laughs> desire to have food. And to, At to, least in my experience, that's been the case. <laughs> to make too many connections too quickly between mm -hmm. the way someone's caring for, for something and the way that thing is, is responding to the potential to be fed, I think mm -hmm. is something that you want to be really careful about. And I really think your advice of approaching with a spirit of asking a question before you express any judgment or make any assumptions is or even any suggestions absolutely. right like hey you should ask your vet about that let's start with let me ask you if you've ever asked your vet about this <laughs> you know if you have any concerns at all about this if you've thought <laughs> about it this is this is definitely territory where i would tread very very lightly and it's not that 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 you can't investigate because it does impact you and mm -hmm. we're all parts of communities we want to take care of each other and if somebody mm -hmm. or something is truly hungry we want to be sure that it's fed and i think that's really <laughs> important also but it's so important it's not just an etiquette question and and as far as the social courtesies go you want to proceed with great care absolutely 100% lizzie boast before we leave the subject of cats i have a yeah. something else to share and oh, it's a piece that? of feedback that we received on this show for an unrelated question that has to do with cats. And Interesting. it's visual feedback. It's very hard to share in the feedback section of the show. But oh. it was in response to the toilet paper question. Top or bottom? Oh, Which way whether do it you goes, yeah. <laughs> orient the toilet paper roll in the bathroom? And you and I came down very hard on toilet paper over. is over the top. Yeah. And there is hundred practical reasons why that is the better solution and not one why you should have it the other way. <laughs> the visual feedback to that question showed a cat unrolling a <laughs> roll of toilet paper. And if it's over the top, you can. And if it's coming out the bottom back, you can't. Well, but wait a second. If it's coming out the bottom back, why couldn't the cat be like... One paw on and and the the toilet paper against I'm I'm my toilet paper is on a wall so it's it's like against a wall so if it goes over the back the the cat could be pawing at it like against the wall and drag it down yes no am I making these up am I imagining my cats have better skills than it could <laughs> against the wall but they couldn't just spin the roll they couldn't just no sit they there couldn't and just drag tap on it. the it, roll. No, they'd have to it'd be pulling from the from the piece that's down. Yeah. It made perfect sense to me that it would make it a lot easier for a cat or small child to unspool an entire roll of toilet paper <laughs> if it was going over the if top. If it was forward. Interesting. I think you should set your children on this one and see how they do with each direction and be like, "All right, kid, 
you let me know. <laughs> like, set them up with a roll of toilet paper. Maybe even do one on a toilet paper stand and one against a wall that's like mounted on a wall so we can get the difference between the two. Well, I am convinced that my children, <laughs> being very gifted, can unspool an entire roll of toilet paper however I Either orient direction. it. <laughs> but I know from this listener feedback that there is a cat out there that will unspool it if it's one way and not if it's another. And while we're talking about cats, I just wanted to acknowledge that they came into play with another question question not too long ago on awesome etiquette (laughs) well thank you for that xavier thanks so much for bringing us this question definitely a first for the podcast and we certainly hope that our answer helps the kittens are now five weeks old and are big enough to eat by themselves they now drink cow's milk from a pan and they can have all the milk that they want they're Fat little sides are bulging with milk. Our next question is about a dating dilemma. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. I've been going on quite a few dates lately with the help of a dating app. After a date or two with the same person, it's usually pretty easy to tell if I think it could go somewhere or not. I don't like to waste my time if I'm not interested because I'm looking for something more serious. The problem is communicating when I'm not interested to those people. If someone continues to message me after a date and I'm not interested in them, is there a nice way to say that and to make it clear I'm not looking to see them again? Thanks, Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Definitely been in this situation. Dan, I know you've been in this situation too, even though dating apps weren't really a thing when you were dating. But I I think... So old. It's Well, (laughs) you're just ancient. Ancient. You found pooj before technology. No, I'm kidding. But I do think that there is a really simple sample script for this. I think being clear is what's important. And how you end it depends on how much you want to make it clear that you do not want to entertain each other again. And I think the polite version of that is is the soft way out. And I think every now and again, you're going to have to use the more direct version of it. I won't call it not polite, but I will call it very clear and direct. But the first one is really simple. So they message you after a couple dates and maybe you've even like not messaged them for a couple days, but they're like going to try one more time to see if maybe they can keep you on. And you say, hi, XXX, their name. And then you might say, "Um, I'm glad I had the opportunity to get to know you. I'm not feeling a connection here, but I wish you well. Or I'm not feeling like moving this forward to dating more, but I wish you well. I like the I wish you well when you don't want to say something like, but let's stay friends or let's keep in touch. I think you could also replace it with I wish you well and, you know, we'll be happy to say hi when I see you around town. I think that starts to get a little bit more directly like, don't worry, I'll wave if I run into you, which might be a little too explicit. But I've I've heard people do it before. But I like the idea of letting them know that you you were happy to have had the opportunity to get to know them. That doesn't necessarily say I was so happy to get to know you, which I think leads people down the false path of thinking, oh, great. So they they enjoyed getting to meet me. Or I had a great time. I had a great time. We connected. Like, yeah, exactly. 
I'm glad I had the opportunity to get to know you. I'm not feeling a connection here. Or another way to say it is this, this isn't really what I'm looking for, for dating or something like that. That's just very clearly, I'm, I'm not going to engage this further in terms of this app and, and doing this. Or sorry, not specifically the app, but just doing this isn't dating. But that's, that's where I would go with it. I feel like, I don't know, Dan, back to your dating days, you know, in the stone age. What? Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop. You guys know I'm only doing this because my, my 40th birthday is approaching and Dan's going to tease the heck out of me for getting into the 40s. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm going to welcome you. I think the reason it's so funny to joke about me getting old is I've been wanting to be old my whole life. It's true. Dan like came out of the womb as a wizened old man. <laughs> You're almost Benjamin buttoning it. But my brother's high what, school friends called me the 50 year old man <laughs> see there you go so again back in the stone age dan what would yep. you have said to ashley when you had to chisel out that tablet and then you know let a date know that it wasn't going to happen again i actually thought your sample scripts were were spot on and you had different versions of them in as as show um bullets show notes and <laughs> the only little edit that i had made in my mind was something to the effect of I'm glad I had the opportunity to get to know you. I'm not feeling a future connection here, ah, or okay. I'm not interested in pursuing this further. I like but that I wish too, you by well. the way, very clear. Very uh, and clear. I was exactly I was thinking about things that indicated that it's really about I'm, I'm not interested in in doing what we've are. I'm not interested in another get to know you date. I'm not interested in seeing how this progresses. And I think thought I thought some sort of indication about what you're closing off is is the future option um, mm -hmm. would be a way that I would modify that sample script. And then classic Lizzie post, you inserted language very similar to that as you were playing with different versions of it. <laughs> and I was saying to myself, okay, check, check, check. <laughs> nice. the, the other thing that I wanted to mention as part of this answer is that mm -hmm. we get questions about this and there are a couple of issues that are etiquette no-nos that mm. I I see Ashley kind of acknowledging in the way that she's asked the question. I just want to be explicit about them that what's inappropriate is just ghosting someone. And this is exactly where the term ghosting came from. When you started down the road with someone in some sort of romantic context and engagement on a dating app counts as a romantic context, even if it doesn't mm -hmm. feel very romantic early on. Mm -hmm. Um that in, in those situations, it can be particularly painful or awkward for people where their emotions are involved, their hopes, their aspirations, their nerves, if someone just vanishes. And it, it, it's almost one of the most painful things someone can go through. I'm not going to say it's the most, but oftentimes it's it's the thing that is the most hurtful that people experience when they're dating is when they aren't even given the, the respect of a goodbye, essentially. And... Mm -hmm. We talk on this show all the time about the importance of greetings, first meetings, introductions, but that there there is a another side of that, which is parting well and finishing well and concluding well, that's also very important. And the biggest mistake you can make is not doing it because you're nervous about not getting the wording exactly right or not hitting the perfect note or that there's no way you're going to be able to spare someone else feeling bad that it's not going to go forward if they were looking for more and you don't necessarily know that they are, but if they were, it could be a disappointment. And in trying to avoid causing that disappointment or experiencing it with someone, 
then I think oftentimes people create the situation that feels even worse, that situation of not knowing what happened. The question then often becomes, well, what do you owe someone as part of a, a breakup at that stage? And the, mm -hmm. the broad answer that we've given for years is that pay attention to the state of the relationship when you're ending it. Mm -hmm. If it's just been messages on a dating app and you've gotten together once or twice, but all of the communication has happened through that app or the messaging associated with that app, mm -hmm. then it's okay to do the goodbye in that medium. Mm -hmm. If the relationship has progressed to the point where you're communicating via your regular email or you're texting from your phone or you're DMing through social platforms, you might want to honor the relationship by conducting the breakup in the medium that the relationship's happening on. Right. And if you've gotten to a point where you've really been dating for a while, where you've been spending a lot of time with someone in person, that's not what Ashley's experiencing, but just to, to flesh out the idea that you might, I don't want to say owe them, but it might be the most um, respectful, respectful way to break up with someone to do it in person. Yeah. And yeah. as long as you feel safe. Yeah, exactly. So just, just to keep those things in mind, I think Ashley's in really good shape after a date or two with all communication happening on the app to deliver that message on the app. And she's probably going to be in pretty good shape. Ashley, good luck with the rest of your dating journey. And we certainly hope that our sample scripts help. Planning things in advance can be a wise move, too, whether it has to do with what to talk about or when to go home. By following these simple rules, all dating can be fun. Oh, Dan, this next one is a doozy. It's called Kitchen Captive. I love your podcast and have been listening for several years. I'm writing today to request your expertise on how to address an absolutely absurd predicament that I have found myself in regarding a neighbor family. To set the stage, there is a family of four that lives across the street from my family of four. We became close friends over 2020 while we basically quarantined together. I have enjoyed having them as friends, so this is a very awkward problem we are experiencing. They told us that they are remodeling their kitchen, and I told them that if they needed to use our kitchen during the remodel, they were welcome to. Honestly, I meant to prep food or maybe cook a casserole or something and take it back to their house. What actually happened was that they brought over all their groceries to keep in our spare fridge, put their food in our pantry, and have been coming to our house for every meal. I feel it's important to clarify that they are cooking only for their own four family members. I would never expect someone to cook for me, but if the roles were reversed, I certainly would have offered. They eat three meals a day, plus they even come over to make coffee here, which blows my mind because they could certainly set up a temporary kitchenette with a coffee pot. They walk into our house without knocking or even letting us know they are coming over. They have come in at 9.30 p.m. while I'm putting my kids to sleep, but their child had sports practice late and they needed dinner. They have come in while we have guests and started using our kitchen. There have been a few nights where I have not been able to make dinner at the time I normally would because they've been cooking in my kitchen. And if all that is not bad enough, they also don't wipe the counters or wash all their dishes. I'm honestly shocked and completely speechless about their behavior. 
These are people who we have hung out with regularly and I live next door to, so I don't want to completely end the relationship or berate them. But I also need them to know that this is not acceptable behavior. I'm also at a total loss as to how to handle this with class as I'm pretty frustrated. My husband doesn't want me to say anything and keeps saying this is temporary and they just don't know any better. We are both annoyed about the behavior though. We are entering the fourth week of this, and I need my house back. Is this my fault for offering up our kitchen? I never thought someone would do this to this level. Can you help me with some sample scripts? Sincerely, Kitchen Captive. Oh! Oh my goodness. We're not a captive in the kitchen. The kitchen is being held captive. Yes, the kitchen is captive. This is a a really, really tough one, though, because... A little bit it is. I, I don't want to say our, our kitchen captive's fault, but the the generalness and the good heartedness of your offer without a lot of detailed explanation or kind of guidelines put in place at the beginning, it has created this situation. And that does make it a little harder to get out of. It's not someone misinterpreted it. It's that they went literally for your offer, <laughs> which... I don't know about you, Dan, but I I do think that the husband is a little bit right in the sense that, like, it's clear they didn't know better. They didn't think differently about it. They didn't think casually and, like, discreetly about it. They thought, like, welcoming gesture, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and and I'm thinking about it in the rosiest possible light I can, which is that our kitchen captive is just such a gracious and welcoming host that the (laughs) principles of etiquette of making other people feel comfortable and at ease has worked so well, has been so successful that these <laughs> neighbors are are having a hard time figuring it out, differentiating or imposing upon themselves the same level that you would expect of a guest of not imposing that you would on a host of providing for someone else's comfort. Yeah, yeah. I'm instantly thinking, though, about the language that I would use to address this. And the first thought that pops to my mind is family meeting. Yeah. (laughs) And it's the sample script that we use in our house when it's just time for everyone to sit down and have a, not a serious talk as in emotionally heavy or weighty, but there's something that affects all of us and we need to talk about it and get on the same page. Dan, I love it when I hear you and your family using directly the advice from our book. I can think of that chapter nine, Living with Others, where we talk about the idea of a family meeting or calling a house meeting or something like that. And it does the the just even labeling it kind yeah. of puts people in a mode of we're going to be looking at our behavior here. I have to be prepared for that. Some people do it better than others, but I think that it that just calling it family meeting, house meeting is is really a worthwhile um, investment in titling. <laughs> call it a kitchen meeting, call it an extended family meeting. But I, what I like about doing that is by putting a name on it, it also it, it reassures my girls or Pooja and hopefully someday William that it's not dad's going to be angry. I'm not coming in to say stop right. this or this happened and someone's in trouble. No, it's, it's it's really about talking and getting everyone on the same page so that we're all clear. And I really like that approach. And there was something that you even started to do a little bit that I was hearing, which is 
thinking about what you can take responsibility for easily and what is commenting on someone else's behavior. Mm -hmm. And I do think there are solutions moving forward here that involve our kitchen captive as a host, setting some clear boundaries, passing along some information about what's working and what isn't that I think could go a long way towards working with another family that I'm assuming is of goodwill and of good intent. And probably pretty grateful for what what they've been allowed to do so far. Exactly. And with a little bit of that redefining work, you might be able to get all the outcomes that you want without having to comment on someone else's behavior. Yeah. And that's, I wouldn't say a fine line to walk because there there is obviously going to be some changes that occur in the other family's behavior once you redefine what's okay with you. But you don't mm-hmm. have to specifically call it out. It doesn't have to be... I can't believe this has been happening. We need to address this. (laughs) And obviously no one here understands X, Y, and Z, but it it, at the same time can get things back into channels that are, that are going to work better for everyone. That version that you just gave the example of that, that you wouldn't want someone to use. It is that version that's, that's frustrated with this situation and the fact that, that it's happened the way that it has. And you're very right to suggest removing that from the conversation as best as possible. I'm also thinking, Dan, about timing a little bit in terms of whether or not I'm going to decide to do anything. And I know that this is like the cliche of remodels is, oh, it'll be done in four weeks. And it's done in like eight weeks or 12 weeks. But I am a little bit wondering, since Kitchen Captive is writing to us from the four-week mark, If we are starting to approach the end or getting closer to a remodel being finished, and that actually might might help me determine whether I'm going to just hold out and not say anything, but know better for the next time I offer someone such a big, generous offer when it comes to my house, or whether I'm going to address it because we've got another four weeks of this and I'm about ready to, you know, blow my top and I need I need us to adjust this to be able to make it well through those next four weeks. And if it was the I've only got like a week, maybe two left, I might try and grin and bear it and just try to get through it. Maybe not have some like guests over during this time because I can't guarantee that my neighbors aren't going to pop in or something like that. But if it is going to be an amount of time that for me feels like too long to go without saying anything or, or too long to bear this frustration through, I think calling Dan's kitchen meeting maybe <laughs> is the way to go for this particular one. And Dan, I couldn't agree more that when you want to address this, not really pointing out the bad behavior explicitly, but instead starting from a place of how you would like to see this go. And I don't know, you might, and maybe this is like the the working of the sample script and not the perfect one yet, but I'm wondering myself whether I'm going to want to say, hey, I know we've got four weeks left, and now that now that we've been doing this for four weeks, we had some ideas for guidelines that could help, you know, streamline this to keep it going for the the rest of the time that we need we want to keep it going for, need to keep it going for. Choose choose your language. Want is probably a little more inviting. But then to move forward with a few guidelines. Dan Help me out here. I can't tell if just being able to ask for things like giving us a text message before you come over, making sure you wipe down the counters and and do all the dishes. Does it start to sound like I'm complaining about specific things 
even though I'm not directly saying you don't do these things, is it like, is it almost like some of the guidelines might start to to suggest that these people haven't been doing all these things well? Or do, do you think it actually does sound like reasonable to just simply start stating some of the things that you need to have happen here? My answer to your question is both. <laughs> totally. I, I, I do think that by defining those things in some ways you're pointing out behavior that was outside those boundaries so i was even thinking about some sample language that might allow for some wiggle room and allow for some let's call it face saving okay. on the other side of the equation right because they might not know that they've been like violating these boundaries right <laughs> exactly and i'm also thinking that i think those things are very reasonable in some ways i think we're taking extra care with other people's feelings because we care about other people's feelings and there's clearly a relationship here that matters to both groups of people. So I think it's reasonable to proceed like that. But I also think it's eminently reasonable to say, listen, this is what's going to work for us and we need to set these boundaries. So even if it did tread on someone's feelings, I think it's reasonable. And some of the, the approaches that I was imagining, yeah, one is the cleaning up after yourself in the kitchen. To me, that would be such a deal breaker that yeah. – it would be high on my list of priorities of things that I would want to address because if it if it wasn't fixed, it would be the kind of thing where I would feel like I needed to stop making the offer. Mm -hmm. And the way that I would context that one, and again, sample script in progress, with the number of people that are using this kitchen now, realistically, we want to be sure that everybody's cleaning things up pretty much immediately after they're done using them. Mm -hmm. And we want to set that as a expectation going forward for everyone. And I'd be willing to take that on myself. In fact, I'd love it if I could get everyone in my own family to take that on, <laughs> if I could get myself to take that on. So who knows, you might get some, some extra benefit out of this family meeting, kitchen meeting, but I would put it in the context of with the number of people that are using this space, we really want to recommit to keeping it clean for everyone. And that means that dishes can't sit in the sink, surfaces need to be wiped down, and food needs to be put away as soon as people are done cooking or eating. Because I feel like after that one, for me, the next one, because the cleaning I do think is like the biggest kind of, as you said, almost like a deal breaker one, like this has to go well, otherwise this can't happen. But the other one that really gets me is the scheduling. And it's, it's not so much people wanting to come over and use the kitchen at 930 at night. I could see how that could happen, but I want some communication about it. I, or I want to try to set a schedule where, you know, if we're not going to do eight person meals, family A cooks their four person meal, you know, and can eat it and use the kitchen from six to seven and family B from seven to eight, or maybe it's, you know, 530 to 730 and 730 to 930. I don't know whatever's going to work timing wise for these families, but I would really want to get on some kind of schedule. And I would also be wanting to talk about anything outside that schedule, definitely receiving a text message about it and or a phone call, something to touch base that people are going to come over and be using the kitchen or we're going to be using the kitchen. So now wouldn't be a great time to come over. And I think that one you can kind of, again, I don't have the sample script perfect right now, but that one, I feel like you can get to it in that 
this one is a two-way street one. It's going to be helpful for both of us. It's going to be helpful for you mm-hmm. to know when we're using the kitchen. It's going to be helpful for us. To, it's going to be helpful for you to know when we have guests and coming over wouldn't mm-hmm. really work. And that's how I would probably put that one. And that would be one of those ones where you're like, oh, man. Or when we have guests and it would be totally fine. So I think that that would be the next one high on my priority to to get into and talk about. And I think approaching it from a scheduling standpoint and that the scheduling will benefit both families is the way to go. You had asked about texts if people were coming over. And I was thinking to yeah. myself, to me, that would be an absolute nightmare because the last thing I want are more people don't. texting yeah. me and <laughs> having to make in the moment decisions about whether I affirm and say yes or decline and say no. I, I really like the idea of setting up a schedule. And I think it allows you to say, you know, after 830, we're putting the kids to bed and we really we really need a quiet house at that point. So kitchen mm-hmm. schedule is going to run from this time in the morning, what's available that and whatever it is. And I could see that being very different things. I mm-hmm. could imagine, like you say, uh, a schedule that defined this is a dinner time that we can cook. This is a dinner time that you can cook, or it could be more open. I think that's where you get to ask yourself what you're really comfortable with and, mm-hmm. and really think about that and map out a schedule that you can live with. And in some ways, that's something that you as the owners of the house and the owners of that kitchen get to decide. And you get to decide how much latitude you want to give, how much open use time you want to offer, where you want to put those hard limits, Mm -hmm. and also set up a system for blocking out time, like you said, where maybe the schedule changes because you're expecting guests or when it would be okay. And with those sorts of hard limits, then someone knows, okay, practice ran a little late or it took a while to get out of the locker room this means it's a dominoes night on the way home instead of oh wait we'll just slip in and do something really quiet and quick and and we'll be out and no one will notice yeah Kitchen Captive, thank you so much for bringing us this sticky situation. It definitely is a tough one, and we hope that our answer both helps you tackle the situation as it is now and can help to set you up well in the future when you want to keep this awesome neighbor relationship going. And maybe there's another project (laughs) that that inspires you to offer up a part of your house or something. We feel like you'll be really well set up to set clear and, and strong boundaries for that time thank you so much for sending us your question and when it's your turn to remodel the kitchen definitely let us know (laughs) i call this first meeting of the miller family to propose that we try to establish a definite program for managing our home so that we'll all get more out of it wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
If you're enjoying Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to bonus questions and content, and live calls with Dan and me. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we are delighted to have some feedback from Dale on the feuding gala guests. It's a voicemail. I was just listening to episode 418. It had the um, feuding gala guests. I had something similar come up a while back. And what I did is I sent a text to everyone invited to the table hey, looking forward to seeing you on whatever day at this event, on this day. You know, we're going to have the following people at our table. You know, in the past, they've had a little uh, silent auction for the centerpiece, so you might bring some cash with you. You know, just looking forward to seeing you there. And I think that lets people decide if they didn't know, you know, these are the other people who are going to be at the table. And if they did know maybe it just is a, a nice little reminder um and i haven't i never sent that as a group text i just sent it you know individually to the guest so anyway that might be something um that they could think about i always love the show and you know look forward to listening every week you know dan one thing i like about dale's feedback there is that it's it's kind of like once everyone's accepted the invitation, then the host lets everybody know who's going to be there. And I think that's kind of an interesting twist on the idea of like the host not revealing the guest list and guests just deciding to come because they want to attend the event. But I also like the added like you could mention the piece about like the centerpieces are going to be auctioned off or something like as a way to kind yeah. of like further smooth that text message. So it's not just about, hey, guys, here's everybody that's going to be joining us. Very classy, I think, that Dale sent these as individual text messages rather than a group text. So you send texts to the group, but not a group text. I'm also sitting here with a smile on my face. I like <laughs> this. I don't want to call it roundabout. I'm going to say indirect way. There you go. There you go. To actually directly, directly solve indirect. the problem. <laughs> directly indirect. <laughs> Dale, thank you so much for the feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about when you're a guest of someone else's at a restaurant. This is a topic that came to mind recently when Lizzie Post and I were having a discussion with some of our trainers. And I confessed that in our dining etiquette module, the module that we use to teach people how to teach dining etiquette, that we didn't have any slides or content that was specifically about navigating a menu or how to order from a menu. And once we started thinking about what we would want to add to our dining content, 
that would fall under a, a slide or two that we would call ordering from a menu, it became very clear that there were different expectations, whether you were a guest, a host, or you were really at a meal where everybody was sharing the cost and ordering for themselves. That inspired a postscript where we'd like to talk about guest etiquette when dining out. Lizzie Post, start us off with a tip. What is your first tip for a guest when you're meeting someone at a restaurant? Well, we've got our first tip listed in the notes, and I actually think there's another tip before oh, it that's RSVP. Now, this may be carryover from last week's rant that I gave at the start of the show, but you definitely want to RSVP to that invitation because someone has to make a reservation based on the number of people who are coming. After that, now we can hit that first bullet, which is arrive on time. When someone else is hosting you at a restaurant, you really do want to arrive on time. They have set aside this time. They've created this space for you, and you really want to respect that by showing them that you can be punctual. What's really nice about arriving on time is there's a very strong probability that your host is going to be waiting for you when you get there. Yes. Which makes the next part of guest etiquette so much easier, which is following your host direction about coming to the table and which seat you should take. If the host isn't offering that kind of direction, as a guest, you wait for the host to either bring you to the table or indicate that it's time to go to the table. And you can always ask, should I sit somewhere or did you have a plan for where to sit? If the answer is no, sit anywhere you like, by all means, take any seat you like. If the host offers some direction, follow that. If your dining experience is not one that is so formal that you don't get a choice in what you eat, um, or it hasn't been pre-planned, then you're likely going to be dealing with a menu and you're going to have some options. And one of our favorite pieces of advice is to suggest that if your host has not already made some suggestions, like, please order anything off the menu or... I won't be ordering an appetizer, but please feel free to do so. So those are ways that a host can guide. But if your host hasn't done that, asking your host what they are going to choose or what they are planning on ordering is a great way to kind of set a little bit of a gauge for yourself or get a little more info into maybe what their plan or their thinking of was when it came to this meal and what you, you should be ordering. So some hosts, you know, will make suggestions. Others will just say free range, you know, go anything you want on the menu. If someone hasn't made any suggestions and maybe you either haven't taken the opportunity to ask or don't feel comfortable asking, it's really a safe bet to go with sort of a mid-range item on the menu and kind of watch and see if other people order multiple courses or a single course and kind of follow what the table's doing. I like to have a little back pocket option, maybe an appetizer that I would order if I saw other yes. people doing it. But if they don't, something that I would be comfortable leaving behind, just going with an entree. I think that as we start to, to parse down and look at following people's cues and, and choosing what to order based on all sorts of things, what can you handle comfortably? What can you eat in a way that you're familiar with and you can get through it reasonably in the time that you have allowed? That you also, while you're trying to observe, okay, what is the host suggesting? Be sure I don't spend too much. Be sure that I order something I can eat in a half hour that's not too messy. That you also order something that you're going to like to eat. I think it's really important as a guest to remember that part of your role is to enjoy the experience with your host. They want you to enjoy. They want you to be comfortable and at ease. And part of that is picking something that you like. So 
ask for those suggestions. But if the person who's hosting you suggests the crab's legs, they're the specialty of the house, but you really don't like seafood, feel comfortable <laughs> asking for the Alfredo instead. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> I also think that it's not a bad idea to think about timing. Some meals do take quite a lot longer to prepare. I mean, the, the classic is, you know, the souffle that you have to put the order in for at the start of the meal so that it's ready on time at the at the dessert time of the meal. But I do think especially when it comes to uh, meals where we might be going to a show or an event right after the dinner or a meal that is a business meal and that's really a part of a more tightly scheduled day or evening, that those are times where you do want to do want to think about how long something might take. And you might not know, so you might want to ask a server, but sticking to, I don't want to just say order cold items, Dan, because I think a hot meal is perfectly fine, but colder items often tend to be able to be prepared faster and simpler dishes definitely could be prepared faster. So just things to think about and a consideration you might want to ask your server about. Well, and it's certainly true for me when I think about pacing. I'm such a slow eater. It's also the quantity of food that I order. If I order yes. a lot of food or a big portion of something, sometimes that takes me a while to get through. And rather than feel like I need to accelerate the pace that I eat at, sometimes ordering a smaller plate or a smaller entree is a, a better way to keep up in the meal. And on a related thought, and it's not the same thought, but it's related because it has to do with how much <laughs> you order, there is a general guest etiquette about not taking advantage of a host's generosity. So mm -hmm. in general, if someone else is paying, you want to think about ordering a quantity of food that you're likely going to be able to finish. And I'm talking about the, the size of your appetite. You don't want to overorder and be in a position where you're either wasting food or asking to bring a bunch of food home that you're not mm -hmm. paying for. Mm -hmm. Speaking of paying, let's a talk really a little bit point. about the check. <laughs> <laughs> if it has been made clear that you are a guest and that you're being treated to this meal, and that, that happens in lots of ways, whether you're an honoree or whether someone has just made a very clear invitation of, we'd like to take you out to dinner – it's really okay for you to not make a gesture or offer to pay when the check arrives or when it's asked for. Um, in fact, I think it's a lot nicer. And this is just a personal thing. I think it's a lot nicer when people don't, if it has been made clear that they are being treated to the meal. And that that would go for social or business situations. And there is a directly related point of etiquette that satisfies that impulse <laughs> to want to contribute, chip in, show your appreciation. The, the I don't want to say better, maybe the more effective, the oftentimes more polite way to do that isn't to offer to pay at the last minute, but to thank someone so much for their generosity, for their invitation, for the delicious meal that you shared, for the company you enjoyed. Thank them, thank them, thank them. Make it genuine, warm, direct, immediate, and, and it should satisfy that craving to want to contribute. That is the contribution that you can make most effectively as a guest. And you know us, we can't do any kind of thank you without saying thank you twice. And so we said it, it is often a good thing the next day to reach out and say, you know, boy, thank you so much for that meal yesterday. I had such a great time or that was such an enjoyable evening. Thank you so much. It's always nice if you can and if you remember to include that reflective thank you afterwards, after the event, when there's been a little time to think about how lovely it was. Thank them twice. <laughs>
Lizzie Bose, thank you, thank you. This has been a lovely postscript. <laughs> I so appreciated doing it with you. Well, Dan, thank you. And I, maybe I'll text you tomorrow and thank you for such a lovely postscript. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's one of those fancy ones that I learned about on our last show. Or that oh, might have been the show. Oh, from the High Note app. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I will totally do that. And then you'll have the app. It'll be really fun. Before we close this postscript, I also want to put a call out there to our audience. We would love to hear your feedback. I am in the process of developing content on etiquette and advice for ordering from a menu for hosts, guests, and for shared meals. So if you have any etiquette tips that you think would be appropriate for that, I would love to hear them. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today, we have a salute from Anonymous, and I love this one because it's a local Vermont salute. Our salute begins. Dear AE team, my salute is a seasonal one. With winter coming, it is time to prepay for winter heating fuel. Our family recently got offered a special promotion that would save us hundreds of dollars this winter. We are not going to take it. Our current provider has the nicest staff I have ever spoken with. Kim, Kelly, and Catherine from Packard Fuels have been the nicest people I have ever paid bills to. They have earned our business with their friendly, competent, kind service over the years. The idea of doing business with anyone else, whatever the cost, just doesn't feel right. Realizing that their manner was worth hundreds of dollars to me made me realize they deserve a salute. I want to acknowledge them for brightening my day and look forward to years of good service in the future. Thank you, Kim Kelly and Catherine. Stay warm. Best, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for that salute. I love hearing that business is so good and friendly in one place that you wouldn't take a financial break on a different service because you just like the people you work with so much. That is so very Vermont, I feel like. <laughs> Oh, business etiquette world, take note, take note. <laughs> Loyal customers. <laughs> Thank you so much for this salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, coworkers, that person sitting next to you on your commute right now, any way that you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of our podcast by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find Awesome Etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.